This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, what happens when immigrants are so afraid of deportation that they stop going to the doctor? The sad thing is we can't really alleviate their fear because their fears, sadly, are well-founded. Another side of getting tough on immigration when Radio Health Journal returns. With fall routines back in place, sitting down to dinner at home can be the best part of the day. Tap into the bounty of autumn produce, including fresh grapes, for delicious, colorful, and healthy ingredients to enhance your meals. Courtney Romano, registered dietitian and health advisor for the California Table Grape Commission, shares some tips. Everyday dishes can be transformed into memorable meals by combining ingredients in new ways. Roasting fruits and vegetables caramelizes their natural sugars and is a great way to deepen their flavor. Roasting grapes, for instance, adds a delicate sweetness to baked chicken and fish. Grapes can also be paired with roasted cauliflower, broccoli, or squash for delectable and healthy side dishes. Grapes from California are a healthy snack and versatile ingredients. Heart-healthy grapes are a natural source of antioxidants and other polyphenols, which research suggests contribute to heart health. Visit grapesfromcalifornia.com for more information. For people who are afraid of going to the doctor, it's easy to let illness fester and hope it goes away. If it doesn't and the illness gets worse and worse instead, eventually there may be no choice. You have to go to the emergency room for help. Millions of people do that every year, but one reason for avoiding the doctor that's rapidly increased the last few months is the fear of deportation. One casualty of the government's crackdown on illegals is their health. There has been a marked change in accessing health care and a marked change in sort of fear of what might happen if you go to seek health care services. That's Dr. Evan Ashkin, professor of family medicine at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, whose clients include a largely immigrant Hispanic population. A lot of undocumented immigrants have used different safety net clinics in communities, and typically that would be a federally qualified health center in most parts of the country. These are health centers that get special funding from federal government and state governments to help offset the cost of seeing patients who are either uninsured or underinsured. In our case, health centers that I work at have a reputation among that community as being a safe place to go where they'll be treated well and with dignity and respect. So it's a place that the undocumented Spanish-speaking community in our area has felt very comfortable going. Unfortunately, there aren't always identified health centers in places in the country where undocumented immigrants necessarily feel safe. And I think it's also been probably more of an issue now for folks who might look like of Middle Eastern descent and then worried about discrimination because of that issue. But even in clinics where immigrants feel safe, the undocumented are choosing their exposure carefully and limiting it when they don't feel that going out is a must. Patients have been willing to come into our clinic, although we did see somewhat of an increase in no-show rates of patients, but not exactly sure whether that was maybe more because of driving. Unfortunately, some of the law enforcement in our areas have been more apt to pull people over for a minor infraction, for instance, having a taillight out, which could then potentially result in deportation. So it's sometimes hard to tease apart the 
transportation issues versus not trusting the healthcare system, but certainly have noticed a change in those behaviors. And specifically, if we're referring patients to other medical centers where they don't feel as comfortable, and we've seen a reluctance among patients to get specialty care at different medical centers. Again, not necessarily based on that there has been discrimination or problems, but just more fear in the community. Ashkin says the fears are well-founded. Hospitals and clinics used to be considered safe havens, where people here illegally could go for help without fear of immigration and customs enforcement agents. Now the undocumented are reluctant to take chances. I think the reality is that hospitals and clinics are still safe places, but the fear is that they are not. Plus, it's hard to know where things are going to go from here. So it's just hard to reassure patients who are going to be headed down to the medical center that everything's going to be fine because there is now a reality of people being deported. And in our clinic, we have seen a number of families that have been torn apart by deportation where people have had a parent, especially we've seen this a couple of times, who's been arrested and now is awaiting deportation, where the children are American citizens, but neither parent had documentation. With that reality happening, there's quite a bit of fear. We have had reports of immigration officers for a long time in Arizona, hanging out in emergency rooms, hanging out outside of clinics. We've had reports of immigration officers hanging outside of courtrooms, waiting for people who are actually applying for visas or applying to change their status or, you know, showing up for some misdemeanor and then immediately being swept up by ICE and deported. That's Dr. Elizabeth Poorman, a primary care physician who treats many immigrants at the Cambridge Health Alliance in Everett, Massachusetts. She's also a clinical instructor at the Harvard Medical School. She says it may be hard for many Latino immigrants to trust that health workers here are not an arm of the government, unlike in many of their home countries. In a lot of countries, health services officers are working for the government, which, you know, in some ways makes it easier to implement different, you know, public health outreaches, but it also means that uh, people from those countries are going to see us as part and parcel of a federal policy which has really increased anti-immigrant rhetoric. I especially have seen new patients feeling unsafe and being less likely to show up for their first appointment. Many patients are afraid to reapply for health insurance because there's a lot of fear showing an ID and there is an immigration check involved in that because different types of immigrants are entitled to different types of insurance programs. So many don't sign up for insurance and they can't afford a visit with me and they can't afford to refill their medications. That's definitely been an issue. Poorman says the result of all this fear has been an increase in patients waiting to get care until they have no choice. It may have an impact on health for years to come. For those with chronic diseases, they're going months without their medication. So, you know, I've had a patient with terrible asthma who didn't come in for several months because he was afraid to reapply for health insurance. Patients with uncontrolled diabetes who are afraid to come in and so they're not taking their insulin. You know, and I work only in the clinic. I imagine in the hospital they're seeing a lot of preventable hospitalizations. I also have heard from some colleagues that people come in to the hospital when it's too late after staying at home for days because they're afraid that they're going to be reported when they go in. So, you know, for instance, a colleague of mine told me about a a woman who'd been here for years and years and years, had a huge family here, terrible diabetes, and, you know, stopped taking her medications, got the flu, 
thought, you know, it's not safe to call the doctor, it's not safe to go into the clinic, and then by the time she went in, had a massive heart attack and died. I had a patient who was in her first trimester of pregnancy. She had bleeding, which has a concern for what's called an ectopic pregnancy. The pregnancy cannot be in uterus, but in the abdominal cavity, which is life-threatening if not detected, and you have to do an ultrasound to determine the location of the pregnancy, and she was unwilling to go and get that test done because she was afraid of going to the medical center. She did not have the test done, but fortunately it was not an ectopic pregnancy, but that potentially was a life-threatening situation for her. And that's probably what we've seen more of is patients when they've needed a specialty test, when they've needed a referral, have been unwilling to get those services. And obviously that can have repercussions that might not be noted for a few years down the road if their diabetes is poorly controlled, they're not getting their diabetic eye exams done or other specialty services. But Foreman says it's not just people here illegally who are affected by the widespread fear of deportation. She says even those who have documentation don't feel safe and their health is suffering as a result. The effects of decreased access to care, increased low birth rates, decreased activity, and you know unwillingness to travel far and wide to look for healthy food, so exacerbating existing food deserts. All of those things are seen across Latino populations. And in fact, there doesn't seem to be a difference between those who are citizens or not citizens. I think that you know those policies are perceived in the Latino community as just being discriminatory against Latinos and end up decreasing access to care. Fear itself may be making people sick as well. In our pediatric population, we are seeing a number of kids who, you know, they don't come in and tell you I'm anxious or depressed. What they come in and say is I have headaches, I have a stomach ache, I'm not sleeping. The parents note their poor attention. You know, there were issues with concentration in school, not going to school. There were kids who were being bullied in school. So in the pediatric population, it was manifesting a lot as sort of vague, what we call somatic complaints. I've had several patients tell me that they have this sort of passive suicidal thoughts that are brought on by their immigration issues. They say they stop taking care of themselves, they stop taking their medications because they just feel so overwhelmed with their immigration problems, like this country doesn't want them and they're going to be sent home. I mean, a lot of immigrants leave their home countries because they were targeted for violence or sexual abuse. A lot of my women have been sexually assaulted in their home countries or on the way to the U.S. And they're very afraid of being sent back and that that really, you know, triggers a lot of their PTSD symptoms and can keep them from, you know, taking their medications, returning for follow-up visits or being involved in their care. Poorman says that, unfortunately, she's seen this before. In 2011, she was in the state of Georgia helping to treat migrant workers when the state instituted its own get-tough immigration standards. Overnight, hundreds of people disappeared. So entire towns of migrant workers simply disappeared or moved to Florida and would, you know, end up commuting into the state, but the state lost over $100 million in rotting crops. And, you know, that's raw money for the state that then generates other money and other jobs. It was really dramatic just how profound the effect was, you know, on the migrant labor, but also then on the entire state. Some doctors have changed the way they practice to meet the needs of their frightened patients. 
Some clinics have gone mobile more often, and Ashkin says doctors are having to learn more about immigration law than they ever wanted to know. We have had to add knowledge about the legal system, which we didn't have previously, to be able to help our patients understand some of their rights, not that we're legal experts at all, but just some basic legal advice and also help people prepare with family emergency plans, something we never did before, but it's really sadly in our patients' interest if they are undocumented to have an emergency plan in case they are picked up during the day and their kids come home and one of the, or both parents are no longer there, but there is paperwork that's been executed that allows someone who is documented to be able to perform you know, legal services for them, take them to the doctor and be able to execute other documents with like a healthcare power of attorney or other documents. So we've had to sort of add that to what we do. But even though most clinics and hospitals are still left alone, they don't seem like safe havens anymore. And rumors can spread like wildfire to keep the undocumented away. Many doctors who've worked their whole professional lives in the immigrant community aren't trusted quite like they used to be and they can't offer the assurances that the immigrants would like to hear. This is one of the things we struggle with is, you know, it is disingenuous to do too much reassurance. So what we can do is let people know we care. We have a therapist in our clinic, thank goodness, who can help people talk about their anxiety and, and work with families, and she can also see our pediatric patients. The sad thing is we can't really alleviate their fear because their fears sadly are, are well-founded. So that is a real struggle. We've even talked about, should we even be asking our patients how they're doing with this fear since we cannot reassure them in a meaningful way? And, you know, we've decided, yes, we do need to ask and let them know that we care and that we're here for them in whatever way we can be. But it's also disingenuous to tell them that it's going to be okay because, you know, that's not necessarily the case. You can find out more about all our guests through our website, radiohealthjournal.net. I'm Reed Pence. Radio Health Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment. Each year, thousands of adults in the United States get sick, are hospitalized, and some even die from diseases that could be prevented by vaccines. People with heart disease or those who've suffered strokes are at high risk for serious problems as a result of these illnesses, like the flu or pneumonia. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says if you have heart disease or had a stroke, it's especially important to talk with your doctor about getting your vaccinations up to date. Heart disease makes it harder for you to fight off certain diseases. In fact, some vaccine-preventable diseases like the flu can increase the risk of another heart attack. Vaccines are one of the safest and more effective ways to protect your health. And the influenza and pneumococcal vaccines are especially important to people with heart disease or stroke. So don't wait. Vaccinate. Talk to your doctor to get your vaccinations up to date. For more information, visit cdc.gov slash vaccines slash heart. That's cdc.gov slash vaccines slash heart. Medical Notes this week. Youth football leagues are already suffering drastically reduced numbers of players, and a new study in the journal Nature's Translational Psychiatry could accelerate the trend. The study finds that playing football before the age of 12 may be especially damaging to the brain, doubling the risk of behavioral and cognitive problems later in life. 
Doctors say the brain goes through rapid growth between age 10 and 12, increasing the risk of impact to the head. Doctors complain a lot about electronic health records, and a new study finds they've got good reason. The study in the Annals of Family Medicine shows that primary care doctors spend more than half of their workday interacting with the electronic health record rather than patients, six hours of the average day. But another study in the same journal has a solution, using medical scribes, whose job is to sit in on patient visits and put it all into the electronic record while the doctor takes care of the patient. The study finds that doctors are much happier when they use a scribe and patient satisfaction is unchanged. And finally, colleges have more female students than male by a sizable proportion, so a new study finds that more men are marrying up than women. The study in the journal Demography finds that today, women are more likely to be married to a less educated man than the other way around. And for the most part, men are surprisingly okay with being out-earned. And that's Medical Notes this week. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.